Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. I wanted to start this morning with some clarification about last week. I had someone come up and we talked, or help, help me to see that last week I did not make a clear enough distinction between the persons of the Holy Spirit and Christ. I went back and listened, and I think that's justified. We're trying to tread on some fine ground there. It's trying to show that. My argument was that if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have Christ in you. And that is true from the passage we saw, because the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of Christ. But I was not sufficiently clear in explaining that that does not mean that Christ is the Holy Spirit. They are one, as members of the Trinity, they're one being, but they are separate persons with uh, sort of unique tasks that they perform. So, thank you, person who brought that up, wanted to clarify that. Another point is, I mentioned earlier that we were going to do the last session of this course as a question and answer session. However, it was recommended that we actually do question and answer sessions briefly at the end of each lesson while the content is fresh on your mind. I think that's a great idea. So we're going to plan to do that. I'm going to try, Lord willing, to be done a few minutes early so that we'll have a little time for question and answer. So that said, let's pray together and then we'll go ahead and get started. Christ, I thank you that you are in the presence of our Father and are continuously pleading our innocence on the basis of your death for us and resurrection. Thank you that you maintain the innocence of your people, that you do not allow the accuser to win any case against us. I thank you also that though you are absent in the body, you are present spiritually with us within us, through your Spirit, indwelling us, and we are grateful to have you here. There are a lot of dangerous toils and snares that we come through in life, and if we were left alone to ourselves, we would surely fall, but I know that you are with us, and I thank you for that. Please help us as we continue to contemplate through Scripture what it means to have a living relationship with you. And to be satisfied in that relationship, to see you active in our lives, and to hear your word, to hear your voice. So I pray you would allow us through your word to hear your voice, even this brief time, as we turn to scripture, to the word of Christ. It's in Christ's name, your name, that we pray these things. Amen. All right. My sheep, said Jesus, hear my voice. Probably a familiar passage from John chapter 10. But we know that when Jesus made that statement, it was not offered as just a straightforward proposition. And what I mean by that is, if that were just a straightforward proposition, then we would all have wool, because we would be actual sheep. And hearing Jesus' voice would mean then, if those are his sheep, that every spiteful Pharisee Jesus spoke to, who heard the sound waves coming from his larynx, every Pharisee would be a sheep. You see that? If that literally means, my sheep hear my literal voice, if that's what Jesus was saying. In fact, what Jesus said just before he said that, affirms it, you, and he's speaking to critical Jews who are not believing in him, he says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And then he says, my sheep, in contrast, hear my voice. On the one hand, you could say, well, these Jews did hear his voice. They heard the sound waves. It went into their ear canal, touched there the drum. And that is true on the one hand. But when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, it's clear he means something else by hear. So that even those who heard his voice did not hear his voice. And Jesus speaks often like that. 
He explains, in fact, what he means by hearing his voice in that very passage because the contrast is you do not believe, but my sheep, they hear my voice. In other words, the hearing is clearly belief. My sheep, they believe my voice, they hear. That being the case, if you go backward and look at my sheep, okay, we're not talking about the woolly creatures. What is Jesus referring to with my sheep? Well, now that we know that hear means believe, you go back and say, well, the sheep are the ones who are believing. Who are the ones who believe? Believers. So the sheep are us. The sheep are Christians. So the sheep, Christians, hear, that is, believe. And the last point that you have to understand is my voice. If we know it's believers believing, then clearly my voice is going to be what they're believing. What do believers believe? That would be the voice of Christ. The content, the set of data, the information, and beyond that, the content of what believers believe, that is the voice of Christ. And I hope you can see the relevance of this little bit of interpretation, because so far in this class, we have talked about having Christ as the ultimate aim of our life and setting our direction toward Him alone. Then we moved on to see what does it mean to have a living relationship with an invisible Christ. We said that that relationship is based upon words and actions, just like all of your relationships. Only this is the difference, that in actions, as we talked about last week, Christ acts in our life not through his physical body, but through his sovereign will, moving everybody, moving everything. That's how he's active in your day-to-day life. And now we come to the point where we ask, well, in what way does Christ speak in your day-to-day life? How do you hear the words of Christ? And therefore, we are looking at, have looked briefly at this passage How does he speak to us? And from this passage, we find that he is not communing with you or communicating to you through physical sound waves in the air, but rather through you believing a set of content that he has provided. It's your exercise of faith in, quote-unquote, the faith, what Christ is communicating, and when you do that, you are hearing his voice, and that's what I'm going to explain today. You will remember that our second lesson, Bofolk filled in, and he talked about the Word of God, and we're going to have some sort of different emphases, but I think those lessons will complement each other. They won't be competing in any way, just to mention that. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you truly do hear the voice of Christ truly do. And I'm going to explain more specifically what that means, because you hear it in a different way. Not audibly, not physical sound waves, but there's a different manner in which you hear his voice, but it's still a real hearing of the voice of Christ, which is a basis of our relationship with him. So that's what we're considering this morning. What exactly does it mean to live your life in such a way that you are hearing the voice of Christ? So to begin, Scripture speaks of this content of what we believe, what Christ calls His voice, by several different names, and you've heard them. So, for example, you may read in Scripture of, quote-unquote, the faith. And that is a way to refer to what Christians believe that points out that we believe it. You see, the faith, it's we're having faith in those things. At other times, you might find this same set of content called the gospel, in which case the emphasis, it's the same set that we're believing, but the emphasis there is that what we believe is really good news, hence a gospel, good news. There are other times it's called the mystery or the mystery of Christ because that's kind of the center of it, and it was half buried in the dirt till Christ appeared and dug up the other half for us to see, so to speak. 
So these are different names for that content, the voice of Christ. But there's another name, and it's the one that we're going to focus on this morning. And that is that in Scripture, at least twice, we find this content called the Word of Christ. Let the Word of Christ, Colossians 3.16, dwell in you richly. Now, this way of speaking about that content fits very well with the passage from John 10. My sheep hear my voice. What do you convey by your voice? A word or a message. My sheep hear my words, my message, so it's a word of Christ. Now, if you look more closely at this phrase, the word of Christ, it is possible it could mean one of two things or both things that Paul could mean it here. Because of, if you study your Bible often, you realize of can mean a lot of different things. In this case, when we say the word of Christ, which is what we hear from him, we could be understanding Paul to say that this is a word about Christ, a message about Jesus Christ. And that is true because that is what the gospel, the faith, what we believe it centers on Christ himself And that could be what Paul is meaning. But there's another sense just as possible in this context. And it's the one I want to focus on. And it is a word of Christ that dwells in you richly. Could be not just a message about Jesus, but a message that comes from Jesus. So when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, a message that has come to us from Christ is dwelling in us. And I will show you that from Scripture here in a moment. And that's what I want to focus on. When you are exercising faith in the Word of Christ, I want to show scripturally that you are receiving, in some sense, a message from Jesus. You see how that ties into what we're trying to do today is to show you that you can hear from Christ. You can receive communication from Him. Someone could object in this way and say, well, you know, again, when I get a message or a word from one of my physical living friends here present with me, they speak, it travels through the air, I hear it, and that's a very easy way to receive a message. But when you say you receive some kind of word from Christ, that seems more mystical, that seems more strange. What does that actually mean? And is it as meaningful to receive a word from Christ as it is to receive some words from your best friend in the flesh. Kathy is right. That's what we've been trying to show is that it is more meaningful to hear from Christ, even though it's not through an audible voice, than it is to hear from other people. It's as factual and as real a hearing, even though there's a different manner of hearing. So go back even to that argument. The thought that you hear from your physical friends a physical voice, and in some way that's better. That is one way you hear from your friends on earth, but it is not the only way that you hear from them. There's another way, very common today, that in some ways is more similar to what we're going to talk about, and that is sometimes you receive text messages from your friends. Or if you're not into text messaging, a letter or an email, okay? Similar. When that happens, you're receiving a message from a human being, typically who's not present with you, so they cannot speak verbally and you hear it with your eardrums. But when you receive a text message, you still accept it as communication from that person, even though they're invisible to you at that moment, at a distant, and it's just a copy of what they've written on their phone or on a computer or by hand. And here you've got a copy transferred through the air invisibly onto your phone. But when you receive it and you click that little bubble and it opens up and there's a text message from your best friend, you don't go, is this a spy? Is this the government? Is this someone? Typically you don't do that, right? (laughs) Typically you trust that that is a message from your friend. Okay, why does that matter? In this case, you're receiving 
contextual communication from someone invisible to you at a distance from you, but you're still receiving it as a message from them. Why? Only because you trust in the faithfulness of your phone. If you didn't, you wouldn't believe that's a communication, but because you trust in your phone that it's accurately conveying this message to you, then you believe that that's a communication from your friend. Now that is not an exact, but a close parallel to how we receive communication from Christ. Christ communicates to us, wants to communicate to us, and for that reason, He sent His Spirit shortly after His life to help His closest companions on earth, the apostles, write down for the church the message that He wanted us to receive from Him. And it's not coming to us through a telephone, but through apostles. But it's the same idea. You look at your phone, you trust that message because you trust your phone. If you're going to look at Scripture and believe this to be a communication from Christ to you, it's going to happen if and only if you believe that this is faithfully conveying a copy of what Christ wants to communicate to you. In fact, that's what Scripture itself says. You remember how the Apostle John began his first letter to Christians. He said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. We didn't get a copy of it. We saw this, and the we here, apostles, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Everything about Jesus and his message. That which we have seen and heard, the original, we proclaim to you a copy. Heard it? We're proclaiming it. It's a copy. And here it's written as a copy for us. And then shortly after, this is the message we have heard from him, the original, and transfer now, proclaim to you that God is like. Message from Jesus through the apostles in Scripture. In other words, Christ has a message for you, and since he's absent in the body, he has determined to convey a copy of that message through his witnesses, the apostles. They are the phone that you're getting this message through. Paul, you'll say, Paul, he was not there with Jesus in his earthly ministry, so he wrote a lot of the New Testament. How can he be copying the original? Isn't he copying a copy? Paul was adamant that we understand he was not copying a copy, but that this was an original message from Christ. He says in Galatians, For I would have you know that the gospel that was preached by me is not according to man. It's not man's gospel, for I did not receive it as a copy from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it directly through a revelation of Jesus Christ in order to convey it to us. He's adamant to prove his message, message is coming directly from Christ and he's conveying it. At this point, someone may say, well, very well, the apostles were communicating that message, but when you hold up your Bible, most of it is an Old Testament. And a small amount is from the apostles and most of it's from prophets it, before Jesus ever lived. How can you say that that's a communication from Jesus to us? There's a lot we could get into there. But I'll just point you to this passage when Paul himself, an apostle, conveying a message from Jesus to you, here's part of the message. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, now these things, things that happened in the Old Testament to Israel, happened to them as an example, but they were written down, copy, why? For our instruction, Christians, us, for our instruction. That's the purpose that even before Jesus lived, the things that happened to Israel, some small nation far away from us, the things happening to them were written down for us because Jesus 
wanted to convey a message to us that included not only what was happening in his lifetime and what would happen afterward, but it contained examples taken from what had happened previously that were written down by God's intention for us, on whom the end of the ages has come. That's us included. For our instruction means God intended the Old Testament for us who believe. The message of the Old Testament is about Christ, even if it is less clearly about Christ than the New Testament, but it's all supporting and getting ready for Christ's coming. So much so that in a very shocking passage of Scripture that you wouldn't expect, in Galatians, Paul can say that the Old Testament, he calls it the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, the Old Testament preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham in saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. It's the gospel. That's the content of our faith. That's what we believe that centers on Christ. And even though it wasn't clearly, fully revealed, this whole mystery, yet it was that same content in seed form that was conveyed in the Old Testament, the scriptures, to Abraham. That's now copied down for us. All of that to say, why say all of that? Because I want you to be confident that this entire book is intended as a message for you from Christ. That's why when we say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, we're referring to the Bible, the whole thing. And we want it to, well, why is it a word of Christ? Because it's coming from Jesus Christ to his church. Why do we say all of this? Because in this class, I'm arguing that your satisfaction in Jesus Christ by itself, unsupported by a satisfaction in any of your human friends, is enough to sustain you and give you great joy. So that if you have Christ and no more, you have enough and more than enough. But to say that, and to at least theoretically cut off these other supports and say Christ is sufficient, is a very unkind thing to do. Unless your relationship with Jesus Christ is real, is vivid, is alive, is truly enough to support the full weight of your social self. And I'm saying it is. Through his actions in your life, by his sovereignty, he's dealing in your life every day. He's not just far away. And through his words, these aren't dead words, but they're alive and they're a message meant from Christ for you, his people, and when you exercise faith, my sheep hear, that's faith, my voice, scripture, you're his sheep, you're hearing his voice, you're hearing from Christ in that way. This is why Christians are people of the book. We understand that when we come to Scripture, we have to interpret it. You can't flip to the Old Testament, read a passage written to Israel, and just say that directly applies to me for sure. Maybe it applies to you. Maybe it's just an example for you to learn from. So we have to learn. It takes work to interpret Scripture. But once we've interpreted Scripture and drawn the principle for ourselves, we hear there the voice of Christ. That is why Christians love the Bible. We don't worship a physical book. We love this because we worship Christ and he speaks to us through this. That's why we're Faith Bible Church. Primarily because we love Christ. Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, our hearts burn within us as he speaks to us and he speaks to us in his word. When Jesus proclaims, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, well, everybody he said that to had ears to hear. But he was talking about this faith that receives this as a message from Christ. And our hearts echo that same desire. We who have been granted faith to believe the voice of Christ in Scripture, let us look to Scripture and believe we are hearing the word of Christ. There are billions just like us before we knew Christ who see nothing of value in this book except maybe anecdotes and interesting ideas. But when we come to this book, it's not that way. 
we are communing with Christ through Scripture. Now, if you'll allow me a few moments, I want to draw out an application of what we've seen here in Scripture. If we hear the voice of Christ through Scripture, what does that mean in your day-to-day life? So let's talk about Wednesday again, okay? So this Wednesday, you leave your place of employment. If you're a mom staying at home, you walk outside. and There you are, and there's your car that you have worked hard to take good care of. And there is one long scratch all the way along the side of your car. How does this, hearing the voice of Christ, apply in that moment? Now, we noted that if you're exercising faith in Christ in your life, then you are going to look at this circumstance differently. It's not just an accident that just happened to happen. Somebody without a conscience just drove alongside your car. That's part of it. That's secondary. But the main thing is that Christ is active in your life and that in some sense He's brought this about And so he's there. He's doing things in your life. He's not just far away. He's there. He's in this situation. Whatever it is, if it's good or it's bad, he's in it. So that's Christ, sovereignly, present, working, acting in your situation, not through a body, but his sovereign will. Now, what does it mean, then, if this is the work of Christ, our first thought will go to, why does Christ hate me? Why did he do this to my car? Why is he behind this happening to my car, and you might misunderstand him and think that he's malicious. And that's why, just like in our human relationships, we need not only the actions of those around us to see those, but we need to hear words. Because if your best friend or your spouse went out to your car and made this long scratch across it, your first guess at their intentions is that they're just being mean. And the only way that's going to really change is if your best friend or your spouse stops and says, wait, let me explain. And they may have a reason that you wouldn't have imagined. In their case, maybe it was an accident. So it wasn't malicious in any sense. But you don't know that until they explain that with words to you. So going back now, Christ is in some sense behind or in the situations that's happening. And we may at first think, oh, he must be against me, until we stop and we let him explain what he's doing. You say, okay, I'll stop and listen for his voice. No, no, no. His sheep believe the content of his message. So we go here and say, okay, Christ, explain. And we are content if he doesn't explain every detail, because he won't. But what would that look like practically? That would mean there before your car... You have memorized Romans 8.28. I encourage you to do so. It's a good overarching verse of God's intentions, Christ's intentions. And that is that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, if you allow that to be the word of Christ that's going to explain what you're experiencing, explain what Christ is doing, then the first thing you're going to do is interpret that passage. You're going to ask, can I directly apply this to myself? In this case, it's the New Testament. It's written to Christians in Rome in a very similar circumstance to yourself. It's clearly a principle that applies to all believers in these last days, so that's us as well. You can take this and apply it to you. And when you do that, Christ explains that what has happened to your car is not because Christ is super upset and wanting to hurt you, but rather, whoa, whoa, let me explain. I'm doing this for your good because I love you. I'm doing this because this, like everything else, is gonna work together, even if you don't see it, it's gonna work together for good. And when you believe that is here, the voice of your shepherd telling you that, then your little sheep body gets less tense and you go, okay, now I see what the shepherd's doing. He's leading me in a good direction. I thought it was a bad direction, but it's actually a good direction and I can trust him. It's like St. Bernard. He said long ago, the interpreter of the Bible must see himself in what is said. You go into Scripture, you say, how does this apply to me? How is Christ speaking to me in this passage?
The word of Christ in this case has explained the action of Christ. And you see, when that is the pattern of your life, that is a living relationship with Jesus Christ. That's one that's not just happening on a Sunday morning. That's happening on a Sunday morning, but that's happening on Wednesday. That's happening every day of the week, hearing the voice of Christ through Scripture. Now, to leave a little time, uh, I want to touch on one question that we haven't addressed yet, and it's important, and that question is, okay, so we hear the voice of Christ through Scripture. Do we hear the voice of Christ anywhere else? So, for example, what about prophecy or speaking in tongues, direct revelation from God? Or again, what about these kind of inner promptings when we feel like Christ is moving us maybe to share the gospel with someone or to do something? Are those not the voice of Christ as well? And as a general answer, I would for sure say this. When we come to Scripture, Christ is definitely speaking to you. Zero doubt. Definitely. Every time. When it comes to everything else, it's not definitely speaking to you. And let me explain what I mean by that. At Faith Bible Church, we're cessationists. Where we believe that those New Testament gifts that are direct revelation, like prophecy and speaking in tongues, were very necessary before Scripture was put together, but are no longer normal in the local church as an operation. So we don't expect you to have the specific gift of the tongues or of prophecy, etc., But even those who are on a different side of the issue from us, who say, yeah, it continues in the church, everyone agrees, whether they believe in it or you don't, everyone agrees there are at least some instances where that someone thinks they've heard a word from God and they have not. You may have personal experience of that. For example, um, a good example of this is actually George Whitfield. You remember him preaching along our coast during the Great Awakening and many people coming to Christ. And he had a young son born to him and he believed that he was receiving a message from God that this son would grow up and preach the gospel. And so he proclaimed that, that his son was going to grow up and preach the gospel. His son died in infancy. And that was a sort of rebuke where he took that to heart and realized the mistake that he had made where he was taking something he thought was coming from God he thought it was a sort of prompting or a leading from God. But in fact, it wasn't, it wasn't that. And he learned from that. What about these inner promptings that we feel? You feel led to do something. You feel led to share the gospel or to do something good. I mean, how could that not be from God if it's something good? In those instances as well, I say, if we believe that Christ is sovereign, over everything that happens, including human wills, which we do believe, then I can't say it's impossible that he would prompt someone through a movement of the will. That's what we consider a prompting. So I'm not going to say that's impossible. If you were driving and you saw someone and you felt a particular urge to share the gospel with that person, maybe that's God. But the maybe is an important thing as well. Maybe that's God. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's your mind. And there are instances where that's very much a possibility too. So the caution is, don't take the prompting as a definitive, final, authoritative word from Christ to me. Because it it's, might not be that. When we come to Scripture, this is definitely Christ speaking to His sheep. This is the standard. This is the solid ground that we're standing on. Everything else... Eh, could be. I do want you to look at the circumstances of your life and see Christ active, and that requires some attempt at interpreting what Christ is doing to some degree, but there it's always subject to what you find in Scripture. Christ's actions and what they mean are always subject to his explanation of what he is doing, and sometimes we really feel like we've got a good handle on what he's doing, and we're totally wrong. So we always take it back to Scripture This is the sure way that we hear the word of Christ. So this week, when you are in the morning, you have the word of God open before you in your quiet time, and you're coming before that word with a humble heart, and you're longing to hear from your Savior. When you are exercising faith in what you hear, interpreting well, then you are hearing, in the sense of John 10, you are hearing the voice of Christ. 
But it's not just in your quiet time when you are out and about during your day and your kids are screaming or you're at the supermarket or you're in your cubicle. When you are there, you have the Word of God that you've read and you've meditated on and it's stored up inside you, hopefully verbatim for some verses, other times just the principles. But when you're living your life and you're interpreting your life through those principles, that's Christ speaking. He's saying, no, don't look at it like that. Remember, look at it like this. I'm doing this. That's helping you hearing the voice of Christ as your shepherd is leading you on. In closing here, you know, the early church had many funny beliefs, strange beliefs as they wrestled through a lot of different doctrines. But one thing you appreciate from those early writers is that they definitely had a sense of the reality of what Scripture was saying. There was a word for it, the Latin res, R-E-S. It's not just the words themselves, but the reality that they are pointing to. And may God give us a similar sense that we don't read the Bible in some cool, detached, scientific way. This is pointing to realities, and this is the real voice of Christ speaking to us. May God give us grace so that we may do that same thing. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll have just a few minutes for a question and answer. We'll finish up. Lord, I thank you that you do communicate to us through your word. I thank you that we have the word of Christ about you and from you. I thank you that you've given this message to your apostles to convey to us because you want to know us more deeply and you want us to well, you want us to know you more deeply, rather. And so I pray that you would give us the faith on a daily basis to remember your words and to hear them as your words. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's do a few minutes of question and answer. Yeah, Kathy. I have a question. Absolutely. And since I'm relatively new here, hmm? I have had real experiences. Mm. When I was 14 and a half, a man tried to kidnap me. Mm. There was two little children playing right there on the ground, so the man couldn't pull out a weapon. Mm. And I heard, I believe, the voice of God telling me how to get away from this man. Mm. And I did get away from this man. However, not too quickly because he watched what house I went into, and then he came back to get me out of that house. Mm which he wasn't, God didn't allow that to happen yeah. either. But then I, mm. I tell people I'm silly, sassy, and stubborn. <laughs> and I was driving down Highway 100 in Milwaukee, and I believe it was God said, make a left turn here. If I made a left turn there, I would have been way out of my way. So I kept going. And I almost got in a car accident. So I believe God was trying to save me from that accident, but he allowed me to see what could have happened. And I said, from then on, I'm doing whatever he mm. says, whenever he says it. Mm. But see, this is the verbal voice. And one day on J July 11th of 11, I was leaving my apartment to go to a hospital to pray for a lady having surgery. And after I locked my door, I felt it was the Holy Spirit that whispered in my ear, go in, get the Holy Spirit book. I went back in the apartment, got the Holy Spirit book, mm. went to the hospital. They had added a different valet, so I was in the wrong valet for Kathy, but I was in the right valet for God, mm. okay? Mm. And this man came up to me, because my license plate say, thank you, God. Mm. And he came up to me and he said, I wish I had the Holy Spirit living in me. His mm. name is Michael. And I said, if you believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine, because we're all sinners, I said, you do have the Holy Spirit living in you. And he said, he does believe that. I reached over, took the book that the, book. the Holy Spirit mm. wanted me to get. That's good. And I gave it to him. Yeah, well, let me, let me touch on that real quick. So... For those who are listening to the recording, or if you didn't hear, uh, Kathy was mentioning several instances in her life where it seemed to her that the Spirit, or God, was directly speaking to her, and different. she gave different scenarios there. Thank you, Kathy. Um, it's good. Christians differ. Some Christians differ on, on this. At Faith Bible Church, 
like I kind of explained here, we do believe that God can give promptings if he wants to. But every time, we always go back to Scripture and we say, is Scripture supporting this? Because there are other examples where people have really, really felt. So, for example, I'll give another one. So it's not to say that it's impossible that God prompts. But another example would be in counseling. There's a man who is being counseled, and he had left his wife, cheated on his wife. So they were counseling him. And as they're counseling, he said, you know, why would you do this? And he explained, well, when I was at a stoplight, I was at this stoplight one day, and I'm there, and I'm wrestling with this. There's this girl I'm interested in who's not my spouse, and I'm there at the stoplight, and I look over, and there she is. And God put her there. And I thought, well, you know, God put her there because he wants me to have this relationship with her, which, of course, we know is not true. And the reason we know that's not true, so there's an experience that's happening. People have experiences. But what we do with the experience is we take it and we bring it to Scripture and we say, is this experience either validated by something I find in Scripture or is it rejected? And in this case, for example, with this man, you could go to Scripture, which clearly says, don't commit adultery. So what you've done in that case is you've taken an experience that's happened and you've put the Word of God on top of it. And you've said, if there's anything in the Word of God that goes in any way against this, then we're going with the Word of God. And that's a healthy way to look at the experiences that we have. Let me open this up to a few other. We could talk a little more afterward as well if you have more questions. So thank you, Kathy. You're welcome. Anybody else? Yeah. Rick. Rick. So Rick asks, if you're laying there somewhere and a verse of scripture pops into your head, can that be divinely inspired? Uh, We would probably not use the term inspired, but I know what you're saying. Prompting? Sure, that could very well be something that Christ is doing to help you. You've got the word of God, and he works in a certain way to help you to remember that. Certainly, absolutely. Yeah, Mary. That's very good. It's like a store library. Yeah. Our sister is making the point that if you're faithfully in the word, then you tend to store those things up. God helps you to store those kind of truths up and verses up so that as you're living your life, they almost somewhat naturally just kind of come out. And that's God's shepherding that he's working to protect his people using that. Yeah, Debbie. Good, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Debbie Debbie is pointing out that uh there are great dangers in this area, which is true, and she named specifically if you're familiar with Jesus Calling, I believe by Sarah Young, very popular series out there. A lot of people are really, really like that. That's very dangerous. Stay away from that. That's actually, um, I think, a medieval mystic way of trying to hear from God. It's called, uh, I think, is it Lectra Divina or something of that nature. It's a Latin term for it, where you sit down with a pencil or a pen, and they believe that Christ is going to speak through them. So basically, they become a biblical writer. So when you're reading Sarah Young, Jesus Calling, she's convinced that what she's writing is on equal par with Scripture. This is Jesus' words coming. So you can see the draw because people are like, I want to hear directly from Jesus to me, you know, more recently. But the danger is that's not Jesus to you. That's Sarah Young to you, you know, and that's mixed in with Sarah Young's thoughts. And the only things that may be true in that book are things that are already true right here. So that's why we stick to Scripture those who claim revelation, um, I think I may have had this, I don't know if I put it in my notes, but John MacArthur, obviously, in Strange Fire, his book, he had a conference 
some very helpful points. And that was one of the things he pointed out, is if you look at the history of cults, those who have deviated from orthodox and true Christianity, almost, I don't know if he can say every, maybe you can say every, but almost every instance is because someone claims a direct revelation from God apart from Scripture. So if you think of Mormons, you think of, you know, go back through all the cults that you can think of. So that would be an example of a danger to stay away from. If someone is saying, I have a direct revelation that's equal to Scripture and it's from God, stay away from that. That's not good. Scripture is above everything for us. Yeah, Tommy. And I think we have to be very careful to have uh, uh, our experiences mm. and then look for scripture to support that. Yeah. Because if we don't take scripture in its entirety mm-hmm. and have Jesus revealing to us what he wants to fit our circumstances, mm. it can be very dangerous. Absolutely. Tommy made a very good point. And one that comes up a ton in counseling and in caring for people, and that is that we have to be careful because it's easy for us to want something, and then if we don't hold Scripture, in fact, as you know, the authoritative voice of Christ for us, if we don't hold it above every experience and everything else, then what's going to happen is if you have a desire and Scripture is not supporting your desire... Well, you're going to have alternatives to turn to, either some word you believe that you've heard from God or a Sarah Young or something else that's going to support your desire. Whereas Christ's intention as a shepherd, remember his rod and his staff in Psalm 23, comfort you. How? When you have a desire that's not in line with scripture, you start going off to the side and the rod comes down and grabs you and pulls you back. But if you elevate anything to equal level with Christ and his word through scripture, then when you start straying, it's kind of like you're blocking his staff away. You're saying, no, I've got a different shepherd I'm going to follow so that I can fulfill. I call that a buried bone where you have a deep desire and you kind of try to hide it and justify it with all these other reasons, but really it's just you want this thing down here. Very good, Tommy. Thank you. Any other questions here? Blake. really good. So Blake was asking, mentioned that it is sometimes difficult for Christians to read the Old Testament as a word from Christ for you. I mean, how do you do that? Some of them are odd laws that are kind of unusual to our ears or spoken to someone else a long time ago. So he was asking, what advice would you give to someone who wants to, you know, go to the Old Testament and receive nourishment from Christ there? First advice I'd say is go to Blake because he took a hermeneutics class and he will help you. But that is the point. Hermeneutics, if you're not familiar with that word, that's okay. Just think interpretation. Hermeneutics is what we call how we interpret. It's a study of how to interpret different parts of the Bible. It can get complex. Anything in life can. But there are some simple principles that are going to help you pull stuff, especially from the Old Testament. I would encourage you. There are some good books out there that will take you through hermeneutics. Ask one of the elders, come find us, ask Blake what he read in his hermeneutics class. Find one of those, read through that. You can listen to things by some of your favorite teachers, MacArthur Sproul. They'll have teaching on hermeneutics or on biblical interpretation. It's a little more than I can explain just right here. The gist of it is that anytime you come to any part of Scripture anywhere at all, you're going to start with what's called grammatical historical interpretation. And that simply means... When whoever wrote this, wrote this, Moses, Paul, whoever, what did they mean? That's where you start. Some people jump right away from that and go, well, that's what they mean to me. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's what they meant in their context. But then there's something that you might call a principalizing bridge. You're looking for principles 
that you can take from what they meant that now apply. So that's called meaning. Every text has only one meaning. It never changes. There are not what it means to you and what it means to me. There's just one meaning. It's what the author meant. It's always the same, and that's what you're trying to find. But there are an almost infinite number of applications of that meaning to you and, and to life. So that's hermeneutics. Study it or come talk to me separately, and we can talk about that. Good question. Any last question here? Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So Dan pointed out, said audibly, my eardrums were tickled today with a message from Christ. Meaning, and this is a good point I didn't bring up. The preached word of God, while not equal to Scripture, is a means that Christ Himself has provided for His people, where what we're doing when we preach the Word of God is hermeneutics. So if you struggle with, man, how do I take this passage? Well, you should study on your own, but also God has provided this once-a-week meeting where we take a passage of Scripture, and those of us God specifically gifted to do this, and you pay us to do this, by the way, and we spend a lot of time digging in to really get at what's the meaning and what's the application. And so when we're preaching, Christ is here, I believe, in a special way, kind of bringing that, using that to help. Which, application of which, we really ought to value both Sunday school or adult Christian education and Sunday morning, the, the preaching. Like this, in terms of values in your life, this sometimes gets pushed aside as like, ah, oh, we don't feel like it. It doesn't matter if you feel like it. This it should be one of the most valuable, important things in your life, hearing the Word of God preached. Uh, well, we do have time for just one last question. If anybody's got one, otherwise we are done. Anybody here? Oh, yes, Dan. In answer to the uh, previous question, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a good mm-hmm. illustration. For I know the plans I have concerning you, says the Lord, mm-hmm. plans for a future and hope. You yep. look at that and say, okay, there is a historical purpose mm-hmm. in that verse that mm-hmm. Jeremiah records for us. Mm-hmm. Look at the New Testament. Does Romans 8, 28, 29 exist? Mm-hmm. Is that something that I can today, as a believer in Christ, cling to? You've probably all heard that, so I don't have to repeat that. Well, maybe for the people on the recording. Dan Gilak was making the point. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a great example of this. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare, not to hurt you. Some people will take that and just directly apply, you know, that's for me. His plans are, well, honestly, that verse, in one sense, it is because Romans 8, 28 says the same thing to Christians in our context, yes, but we want to be careful with Old Testament verses like that because you go back and you say that was originally to Israel from the prophet Jeremiah. What's the context and what am I going to pull? Because other times he'll say things like, God's going to destroy you completely. And it's like, you don't want to apply that to yourself. It's not as a Christian, that's not true. So you just want to interpret original meaning and then pull out principle for yourself.